Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of We Effed Up. I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. And we're here to tell you, once again, for the 16th time, what we in history have done to F up as a human race. Isn't that right, Cody? Uh, yeah, I didn't mean to put it one way, yes. Yeah. I mean, I could definitely see the hamster wheel turning in your brain trying to formulate that uh, line <laughs> yeah uh we're recording in a different space than normal so i don't have my focal points to focus on that i am used to yeah we've upgraded i yeah. guess you could say yeah it's an upgrade yeah. there's more space yeah so yeah and i have a better chair yeah that's true so it actually has armrests on it yeah, stop stop bouncing back and forth, though. It's going to make you sound like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> yeah, when you're recording, it's going to make you sound like you're bouncing. Oh, like sorry. you're in and out of a car window or something. All right. <laughs> so what are we going to talk about for this episode, Cody? Well, we're going to talk about something that, uh, at the time, it seemed like minor, like a very minor thing that somebody missed mm-hmm. that led to... One most of it, like most impactful events in human history. Okay. Yeah. So it's like first, a butter butterfly effect situation. Yeah. Oh dang. Um, so for, first thing I'm gonna ask you: How much do you know about Bosnia? Um, I'm glad that this isn't a question about Benedict Arnold. I must have Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> I know. I probably know less about Benedict Arnold than I do about Benedict Cumberbatch. No, bumper nickel Cumberbatches. Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatches. That's what yeah. I call him. Um, so I know a little bit about Bosnia. Um, I actually had some friends in high school who were twins, and they were both from Bosnia, mm. and they were born in 1993, and they came here. Um, during, like, all of the crazy stuff that happened in the early 90s. Collapse of Yugoslavia. Yeah, and um, Dayton, which is where the podcast is based out of, um, actually was a refugee city for Bosnians. So we accepted lots of Bosnian um, refugees here and helped them transition into immigrants. Well, Dayton Peace Accords, too. Yeah. So So, um, I know that much about Bosnia, but that is it. Okay. Um, so first thing I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you this little map here. Ooh, a map. Yeah. So you see Bosnia is right here. You see in the greater uh, country of Austria-Hungary. Uh-huh. Which used to be a country. Right. Is now not a country anymore. So directly so. to the west of Serbia and Bosnia and Herzegovina were like together as one country, but two like separate ethnic groups, right? Well, Bosnia is made up of several ethnic groups, but I'll, okay. I'll get into that in a minute. But I okay. just wanted to give you context of where exactly it was okay. in terms of also being within Austria-Hungary. Croatia kind of like is eating it a little bit. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Okay. So Got it. Uh, Bosnia was an independent kingdom in the 14th century, but was conquered by the expanding Ottoman Empire in the 15th century. Okay. Um, and over the following centuries of Ottoman rule, many people in Bosnia converted to Islam. Right, And those okay. people are today called Bosniaks. Bosniaks, okay. Now, there's there's between Bosniaks and Bosnian. Okay. A Bosniak is like the actual ethnic group. Okay. Bosnian is somebody from, Bo- like, the country of Bosnia. Okay. That's confusing. I got it, though. Yeah, so... Uh, Bosniak is ethnic group. Bosnian is... It's like American. Uh, yeah, like, because there's many different ethnic groups within Bosnia and Herzegovina. Yeah. But they're all Bosnians, because they're in right. Bosnia. Like American. Yeah. Like, ethnically, I'm not Bosnian. <laughs> Ethnic- ethnically, I think I'm, like, mostly European, yeah. uh, English, whatever, Scandinavian, Scottish, like everybody else in the United States. Yeah. Um, well, not everybody. Um, A lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, other significant ethnic groups within Bosnia included Croats and Serbs. Uh-huh. So people from... What is today Croatia and what is today Serbia? Isn't it called Croats? Croat. Didn't I say that? I thought you said Croat. I said Croats. Croats. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Sarajevo became the dominant city in the region. Uh, and as the Ottoman Empire entered into a period of decline, uh, nationalist groups began to press for autonomy and independence. And you see this throughout, uh, especially in the European part of the Ottoman Empire, because mm-hmm. they ruled over a pretty sizable chunk of Eastern Europe. Okay. Like, what is today the Balkans, Greece? Like much of Eastern Europe, and but there's so many ethnic groups. They start kind of pressing for their autonomy. 
Okay. Or independence, at least. And at the Congress of Berlin in 1878, Serbian independence was recognized, and Bosnia came under the control of Austria-Hungary, while still technically Ottoman territory. Hmm. Okay. So it's still technically Ottoman, but Austria-Hungary is like, we'll, we'll, we'll run it for you. Okay. Yeah. So. You can uh, have your own space, but it's still under our control. <laughs> Um, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's uh, mostly a placating move then. Yeah. They were trying to be like, yeah, okay, you can have your own little place. It's like living in your parents' basement. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Ottoman Empire at this time, it was entering a period of decline. Um, it was nicknamed the sick man of Europe. Okay. It, just, it was just, the government was just not as powerful as it once was. I see. It was just slowly kind of receding and disintegrating. But, um, in May 1903, so fast forward a little bit, nationalists. A little bit. A bit. Uh, nationalists took control of Serbia in a coup, killing King Alexander and several other government leaders. In 1903? In 1903. Was there a particular, like, turning point when that happened? When they decided, like, okay, this is the time? Or was it just, like, mounting pressure? Mounting over? pressure. Okay. Um, after this, the Serbian government began agitating for control over Bosnia and its large population of Serbs. Okay. And this is where it's kind of important to talk about the concept of irredentism. I've never even heard of that word. Uh, irredentism, it's the it's kind of a nebulous concept. It, it's kind of, it's where like a country claims a territory because it once had it. Or because there's a large population of like like in this instance, ethnic Serbs outside of Serbia. So Serbia's like, well that should be part of Serbia then. Oh. Can you think of any recent? A, well a current example would be the current uh, conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. Russia pretty much claims Ukraine's like, well, this was ruled by, you know, Soviet Union. Before that, it was ruled by the Russian Empire for centuries. Yeah. Really, that's ours. Yeah. So, um... To, to, yeah. Would you say that the is Israeli-Palestinian conflict is also something similar yes. to that? Okay. Yeah. Although it's less so, like, there's a lot of um, ethnically is Israeli people there. It's more like, this was once our land. Yeah, this was this was the land of the Jews. Yeah, so we, we were given it by the uh, government. Well, we well, were given it by the government, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. Post-World War II. Yeah. So now it's ours. Pretty much. Okay. So it's a similar concept, then. Yeah. 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 Um, Most pressing, though, currently is... Russia, Ukraine and Russia. Yeah. Um, and this more nationalistic, irredentist stance uh, antagonized the Austro-Hungarian government. Okay. Uh, which led to the outright annexation of Bosnia by Austria-Hungary in 1908. To Serbia? To Austria-Hungary. It's like, if you guys remember, it was technically still Ottoman. Oh, okay. But they just ran it. Now they're saying, sure. like, okay, now this is actually ours. Okay. Because they were afraid that Serbia... Was going to go in and take it. I see. Okay. So, because, again, the Ottomans are weak. I forget that annex means to take. Yes. Not to... Yeah. Remove. Not to, like, cut off. Um, during this time, the idea of a united South Slav state, led by Serbia, began to proliferate. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. uh, Serbians, uh, uh, Albanians, Montenegrins, Croatians, Slovenians, they're all kind of, like, within a broader ethnic group of Slavs, mm-hmm. South Slavs, like Russians and Ukrainians and Belarusians are like East Slavs, like okay. Poles, um, Czechs are like North Slavs. So. Okay. I guess I never really thought about that I, because that part of the world is kind of murky, like, like in terms of like, do you call it Europe or do you call it Asia? Like technically it's kind of like right on the border. It's the, the, the like the... Like, Russia is Asia. Russia's both. But we, yeah, and so it's hard to... It's, the demarcation line is usually the Ural Mountains. Okay. Within Russia. Okay. So. So everything west of that is technically Europe. Yeah. uh, On that landmass. Okay. Like, usually the demarcations are usually the Ural Mountains, the Caucasus Mountains, and the Bosphorus Strait. Okay. 
Okay, and Turkey. Yeah. So theoretically, this is Europe. Yeah, it's still Europe, but yeah, it's it, it's a different character from like Western Europe. Right. Exactly. So. Eastern Europe is, and this area, especially bordering Russia, is much different in terms of like both ethnicity and also like historical government rule and, and things like that. Religion. Yeah. They tend to be more Orthodox. Right. Orthodox uh, or Muslim. Or at least the Orthodox Church is much stronger in Eastern Europe than it is in the Western Western Europe. Okay. So. Yeah. So it's a lot different. When we're talking about this area of Europe, it is much, much different in terms of, like, basically yes. everything. Every single thing that you could possibly... Every aspect of life yeah. and history is totally different. Definitely. This is not Germany or no. France or Spain. This is something completely different. Exactly. Okay. Um, but yeah, so like this idea of like unifying all the South Slavs into a single state begins to like, you know, make make the rounds. Mm-hmm. And of course, Serbia is like, well, it should be led by us. Okay. Because they were the, they, the most dominant of the ethnic groups. They were also the first one to get independence. So okay. that type of thing. So, so they think we have the most experience. Let yeah. us go ahead and try yeah. this. Okay. Um, the annexation of Bosnia... Uh, by Austria-Hungary, led supporters of this idea to work towards reversing that action. Okay. Because if Austria-Hungary holds this land, well, Serbia can't have it. Right. So Can't be both. Yeah. So, for a little more context about Austria-Hungary itself, you have to know a little bit more about how it's structured. Okay. Because it's not... It's not like your traditional, like, absolute empire or absolute mm-hmm. monarchy. It's also not something, like, it's really kind of unique. Okay. Um, so, it was formed in 1867 after a reorganization of the Austrian Empire. Okay. Um, so, internally, Austria and Hungary ran their own affairs. Okay. But externally, they had, like, a united, like, front. Like, uh, their military... Um, they were pals. They were always going to make the same decisions. Yeah, they, they okay. made those decisions again. But like internally, they're separate. Okay, uh, and that's why it's interesting. Called, it's why it's called the dual monarchy. Why? Why was that successful? <laughs> was it well, successful? Well, the, well, in the end, it wasn't. Okay, uh, we'll get to that. But seems like a it, uh, it became necessary after 1848. Uh huh. Or uh, not 1848 after um, in 1867 because Hungary was pushing more and more for. To, to make its own decisions, because it had just been ruled directly by Austria up to that point. Oh, I see. And so they're getting to the point where the Austrians are like, well, if we don't give them something, they're going to, we're not going to control them. Anymore. So they had to elevate them to partner. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so that's uh, really what was like, kind of like an equal partnership, at least internally. So the benefit is Hungary gets to run its own affairs, at least internally in yes. its own country, but Austria still gets the benefit of having that clout. Yes. To operate within the world. Yes. Okay. All um, right. I'm with you. The empire was had been ruled by Emperor Franz Josef since 1848. Jeez. Remember, we're in the early 20th century is the time period we're talking about here. So 55 years. Yeah, and that's him right there. Oh, boy. He looks uh, pretty pretty devious. Yeah. Um, he kind of looks like Sam Elliott. Do you get that? I can see it. Yeah. Especially with the stash and, and the, the chops. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, he's got this devious look on his face in this picture I showed him. We'll put that that on the social medias when this comes out. Uh, He was a member of the Habsburgs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is that family. I'm I'm somewhat familiar with that. The one they kept inbreeding for so long. Yeah. Can you, aside from that, can you give us like a couple sentence summary on them? Uh, The Habsburgs, they had ruled Austria for, at this point, like 700 years. Yeah. At various points, they were the rulers of Spain and Portugal, right. the Netherlands, the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah. Uh, like, one of the most powerful families in the history of Europe. Are there still any Habsburgs? Oh, yeah. yeah. Do they still rule stuff? No. Okay. Um, I think uh, one of his, like, one of his great-grandchildren, I think, was in the European Parliament for decades or something. Huh. He died, he died only a few years ago. He was, like, 100 years old or something. But Oh, I think I remember that. Yeah. But now they've just kind of, like, fizzled out. Kind of. I mean, they're still involved in, like, politics, but, like, not, like, to the not to the point where they're an emperor. Ah, I see. Okay. Okay, um, cool. So, a, a long-standing royal fa- uh, yes. royal slash government yeah, family. Yeah. Okay. Um, unlike most other European great powers, and by that I mean, like, France, UK, Germany, Spain, like, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, the empire was very multi-ethnic. 
being made up of significant populations of Germans, which Austrians, right. Hungarians, Czechs, Slovaks, Poles, Ukrainians, Slovenes, Romanians, Italians, Croats, Serbs, and Bosniaks. Man, is a, I, this is a mess already. Yeah, it is a very, very multi-ethnic empire. Like, of course, you're always going to have like significant populations of other minorities. Like, you know, the UK, it's like English. We also have Scottish and Irish and sure. Welsh, but nothing like this. Right. And I'm going to show you a map, another map here. The other unfortunate part of having so many ethnic groups in in one area at a time when government was really tied to religion very heavily still mm -hmm. in this area of the world and then having all of these different ethnic groups with very different religions i'll come to that here in a moment yeah um it's tough first i want to show you that's all the different ethnicities like yellow here oh, is boy. austrians uh orange is hungarians uh here's some italians these are slovenes this pink part is croats truly uh, a melting pot yeah like yeah. czech slovenes Poles, like all, all, like I said, but you see, like here's Bosnia. You see, it's very mixed, right? So there's a lot. It's like it's not like this part is clearly mostly Czech people, right? This part is clearly mostly you know Slovenes here, but like Bosnia is very very mixed. Yeah, and not even in like nice you know areas. No. It's not like this area is definitely that. It's like it's sprinkled. Looks like a Dalmatian. While most of the empire was Catholic. Uh, Bosnia was about evenly split between Catholic, Orthodox, and Muslim populations. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, discontent amongst the non-Austrian and non-Hungarian ethnic groups led to greater internal strain. So, like, Austria can run itself. Hungary can run itself. Why can't we run ourselves? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Uh, one proposal was to create a more federal union of different states to be called the United States of Greater Austria. Hmm, okay. So it's kind of like, kind of like expanding the Austria-Hungary relationship to the other ethnic groups. So okay. I have another map here for you. So giving them the same privilege that they yeah. allowed Hungary. These are like the proposed states of it. Okay. So like you see, there's a, I mean, there's a couple ethnic German-Austrian states, like a Czech state, a, Slo a Slovakian state, like so you see like Hungary, like a couple of them. Romania would get one. Like, their little bit of Italians would get one. Trentino. Yeah, but then, like, you see all lumped in Croatia. You have Croatia and Bosnia lumped in with it. I see. Okay. So, like, even within Austria, this this proposal, the Serbs and the Bosniaks in, in Bosnia don't really get their own say. They don't get a seat at the table. Yeah. Okay. Which is problematic, would be problematic. Sure. Um, well, it, it's not fair when when you're uh, you have all of these different ethnicities and different areas of this country. They're like, okay, we'll make you guys states, and then they're like, okay, well, hang on. How come all of these other people get their seat at the table, but we're lumped in mm -hmm. with a bunch of other people that maybe don't want to represent themselves the same way? Yeah, I um, understand. Another idea was to group all the South Slavs into a kingdom and make an arrangement similar to the one between Austria and Hungary. So you'd have a third crown, I guess. Because there's, like, the Austrian crown, there's the Hungarian crown, and that, that's why it's called the dual monarchy. Uh-huh. So you'd have, like, a third crown. Oh, boy. Okay. Just lumping all these people in together. <laughs> okay. Um, that doesn't seem like it would work. It'd be like <laughs> having a king of America. Eh, yeah, <laughs> maybe. It's just like, a, or like a king of any Germany. Germany has states, Bundesplatz. Yeah, well, I mean, they did have a monarchy for a long time, and well, they don't have, they don't anymore. So, I guess well, show how that worked out. Um, okay, I mean, I, I I guess I'm just like I always think that having a king is ridiculous. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not. Face of I, it. I mean, we have a president, which is supposed to lead jointly all of the states at the same time. So a king in this particular instance would probably be kind of similar to that, although mm. monarchy is not, you know, appointed yeah. rather than elected. But you see what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Um, these ideas were opposed by Serbian irredentists because any accommodation made to the South Slav peoples by the Austro-Hungarian government would ease tensions uh -huh. and make it harder to peel those areas away from Austria-Hungary. Right. They don't and want in, happy. 
They want yeah, yeah they they strife. want yeah they want to cause antagonism in these areas so they'll break away right and then they'll be like okay and then they'll, Serbia would move in and be like oh well let's just all be together under us so Serbia does not see a diplomatic path forward with the Austrian Hungarian no Empire. it's like a lot of saber rattling at this point I see um I don't know what saber rattling is but it's kind of like you know act tough okay. to, to get what you want but not um. Speak softly and carry a big stick. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. To quote uh, Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> For some reason, I thought you were going to say Steven Seagal. <laughs> I was like, I don't know where this quote comes from, but it sounds like something Steven Seagal would say in a movie. I'm sure he said it in one of his movies. Speak softly and carry a big stick. Don't don't <laughs> whisper it. That's weird. You just made it real creepy. Steven Seagal's creepy. You're not wrong about that, but... I know I'm not. But essentially, they they were like, no, we don't see a diplomatic way forward, yeah. we, or we don't even care to explore that aspect of it. We're just simply going to... Yeah, but they can't take them on directly, because they're way too... They're way they're much smaller, so they can't take them on directly, but they're going to try to foment uh, tensions in the region. They want to encourage them to break away themselves yes. versus them having to physically attack anything. Yeah. Oh, I see. Uh, one advocate for reform was the heir presumptive to the Austro-Hungarian throne, Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Yep. That's Is that a, a name you're familiar with? Yes, because yep. uh, there's a band called Franz Ferdinand. Did you know that? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Is that only that's, because of, yeah, the blurry picture? Yeah. Um, no, I, I know Franz Ferdinand. I, I know that that's like the... Where we're, I know, I understand the um, what the effects of the F up today were. Yes, I um, am aware of that at least. I know that every time I see or hear that name, I just imagine there's a famous photograph. I think it was taken the day of his assassination because there's a parade that day. Spoiler alert! Yeah, well, spoiler alert from over a hundred years ago. <laughs> um, as you so often like to say, but um, there's like a, a famous photo of him in a car. We'll get to that in the parade. So I think I, I think I have it on here. But oh, okay. Um, so a little bit about old Franz. Old um, Franz. He was born in December 1863 in Graz, Austria. Why are you smiling? That is also the future birthplace of the oh. greatest product that Austria has ever produced. <laughs> The Governator. Oh my god. Okay. Arnold. All right. It's All right. the hometown of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, so, great. Uh, the nephew of Emperor Franz Josef. Uh, Franz Ferdinand had not been expected to succeed to the throne. Okay. Uh, however, the murder-suicide of his cousin, and Franz Josef's only son, Rudolf, in 1889, and the death of his own father in 1896, left Franz Ferdinand as next in line. I see. Okay. Just as a side note, look into the murder-suicide of... Prince Rudolph. It's called the Mayerling Incident. Really weird. Really weird? Yeah. Just, G- just briefly tell me what, what's weird. Um, he supposedly entered a murder-suicide pact with his lover. His, was he gay? No. Oh, okay. No, just his mistress. Oh, okay. But, yeah, but, yeah, so just look into it on your own time. Okay. It's interesting. Um, Franz Ferdinand, he traveled widely, including to Southeast Asia and the United States, uh, which was Kind of a big deal at the time. I mean, not as much as... I mean, nowhere near as big deal now. It's like, okay, get on a plane, go there. But back then, it, it oh, was, yeah. like journeys took a lot longer. You had to take a boat. Yeah. It's the whole thing. Um, he was an avid hunter to the point of excess, even for the time. Really? He had over 275,000 confirmed kills. Which What? I worked it out. Like, that's like 30 a day. What? So it's like, he was, like, very so, bloodthirsty. <laughs> was he hunting or trapping? Because... I didn't look into it that far. Okay. I was going to say, because trapping 30 a day, depending on what you're trapping. Yeah. Like, if he's in Europe and he's trapping voles, 30 in a day is not really well, that much. he's probably going to Africa. But, like, like, if you're actually hunting, like, if you're rifle hunting and you're bagging yeah. 30 kills a day... If it were birds, like flocking or migratory birds, once again, I, he's probably res- personally responsible for several extinct <laughs> extinct species. Yeah, probably, but that's crazy. Um, he served in the army, uh, of course, 
being a member of the royal family, rapid promotion. He was Big a major stuff. general by the age of thirty-one. Did he? Oh, did he? Was he like the captain of a gigantic boat or something like that one? Uh, Mountbatten oh, <laughs> in no. a couple episodes ago. No. Um, he exerted great influence in the armed forces and was named Inspector General in 1913. Okay. Um, and Interesting. He was a, ad, do what? So he was good at Army. He, yes. He got many awards in Army. Yes. <laughs> as Buster Bluth would yep. say. <laughs> Look at my awards from Army, Mother. I got this one for marksmanship. <laughs> it's a stuffed animal. Yeah. All right. Sorry. We, um, we, we are reminiscing about the yes. good parts of Arrested Development. Yes. Uh, Franz Ferdinand, who was also an advocate for greater autonomy for the various constituent ethnic groups. Because he saw that this was going to be a problem. So he's like, well, let's nip this problem in the bud. Let's give them the greater autonomy. Give, he, he was a people's person. He was on the side yeah, of the he, people. He advocated for reform, which kudos to him. Yeah. Um, I'm also going to tell you a little bit about his wife. The Archduchess, Archduchess Sophie. That's a lot of ch noises. So yeah, it is Archduchess. Yeah. <laughs> no, I said like Sean Connery. Archduchess. Yeah, yeah. Then there's like an extra sh noise yeah. in there. Okay, sorry. Um, she was born in March 1868 in Stuttgart, Germany. Stuttgart. Uh, I've she, been there. She was the. Oh, have you? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, I've been to Stuttgart. Yeah, I flew there uh, for the World Beard and Mustache Championships. <laughs> They don't have anything to say about that. I don't. Um, uh, it was fun. Germans put on a heck, a heck of a show. But there, that part of Bavaria is also still very uh, religious. So we we arrived it, on uh, All Saints Day and everything was closed. Yeah, Bavaria is like the most conservatively religious part of Germany. Yeah, so um, that was fun. She was the daughter of a minor Czech aristocrat. Okay. And she served as a lady-in-waiting to the wife of a member of the Austro-Hungarian royal family. The Perhaps he was a Viscount? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> no, she I, was just a I, member I, of the royal family. I, would, I um, was just saying, like, a useless title. Um, um, she met Franz Ferdinand in 1894, and the two began a relationship. Okay. This created a problem. Because, again, this time, Franz Ferdinand heir to th the throne. Uh-huh. And according to the rules of the Habsburg family... Of course they have rules. Oh, you're going to love this. Oh, boy. The consort of the emperor... Because there's no empress. Uh -huh. Men only. Except for once. Um, the consort of the emperor must be from one of the ruling European families. Okay. As the daughter of a minor noble, Sophie was too low of a rank. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. So no rules against incest because they had inbred oh, yeah. for a really long time, yep. but they have to be high born. Oh yeah! Wow, and so high born that they're a member of a ruling family. Yeah. So, so what could they be like? I wonder if they had like rules as to how far removed from like the main royal vein you could be. Like, could you be the step cousin, or would you have to be like actually probably an actual member of the family? But I, I, mm. I don't know. I didn't go that far into it. I'll look into that. Yeah. But, Specific um, marriage rules to Habsburgs. I'm going to try and marry into that money. Habsburg family dynastic rules from the late 19th century. Yes. There you go. In order for the marriage to proceed, it had to be morganatic. No idea what that means. Basically, um, a morganatic marriage was would be conducted by noble families back in the day. Uh Basically, it's saying that, okay, uh, your children will not inherit your titles or anything like that. They won't inherit any of that stuff. Um, like, like, Sophie would not be empress when Franz Ferdinand came to the throne. So, like, what Harry did? What Prince Harry did? No. Oh. No, because their kids can still inherit stuff. Like, they'll still inherit stuff. Oh, okay. Like his I thought he inherit. gave that up. Prince Harry? No, he just left. He just stepped out from being like an active member of the royal family. I see. Okay. Like his son. Like whenever Harry dies, his son will be Duke of Sussex. Oh. So. Okay. Well, that makes that decision all <laughs> way less important. I thought it was like a big deal, and now it's just like yeah, oh, I'm just yeah, not going to be still active. Prince and everything and stuff, but like yeah. But, <laughs> wow. Okay. I thought but a morganatic marriage, like you know the. Your your spouse cannot share your titles. Your children cannot inherit your titles. So it's like. The king who stepped down. Edward the Eighth. Yeah. It's a little different than that. Oh. No, because his he, wife couldn't well, no, have well, any... no, no, It's not that because because he was given a title after he stepped down. He was made Duke of Windsor. 
Oh, and if they'd God. had children, their children could have inherited those titles. Lame. Okay, like, sorry. They, like, sh- like their children could not inherit their titles or anything like that, and they couldn't succeed at the throne themselves. So it just stops. Yeah. Like, like dad and dad can still have his stuff. Yeah. But it will never extend to his wife or any of his issue. Correct. Man, because that's she's lame. Too low of a rank. That's really lame. Yeah, it's dumb. So. The way to get around that would be to have an official marriage and then just keep her as a mistress, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just trying to think around this. Like, it just doesn't seem very fair. It's not. Okay. Um, so with their with the permission granted, the two wed in July 1900. And the couple would have three surviving children. Okay. So. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. So, so they did go ahead and do the thing. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. They, they got married. So they had the Morganatic yep. marriage. Yep. All right, well, it's like the a hell of a prenup. <laughs> like the worst prenup. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, all right, you can do this, but you're not, you will never have any benefits from this except yeah. for love. So, <laughs> um, in Serbia, there is this organization called the Black Hand. I've heard of that. Probably in the, it's all in the context of this. This is the only time it's really relevant. Um, they sure. were a nationalist. Uh, Quasi paramilitary organization. Um, think of it like a like a right wing militia nowadays. Think of it like a, the Serbian version of the Proud Boys or something. Well, you can't even say the Proud Boys. Or I don't know, one of those. It's uh, like way more hardcore than that. Uh, yeah, one <laughs> yeah, one of those weekend warrior groups. I don't know. Okay. Um, but it also had like several members of the government in it. Um, they were like, if the government of Serbia was irredentist, was nationalist, these people took it to the extreme. Like, okay. they wanted to, like, use, like, subterfuge and such to achieve the goals of, like, a greater Serbia. Okay. And they decide um, to assassinate a leading Austro-Hungarian leader. And they initially decide on the governor of Bosnia, the effer-upper of our episode, Uh-oh. Oscar Potioric. Okay. A little bit about Potioric. Um, he'd been born in November 1853 in Bad Bleiburg, Austria. Uh, but he came from a Czech family. I guess family was ethnically Czech, but he was born in Austria. Okay. He joined the military in 1867, uh, but steadily rose to the ranks and became the governor of Bosnia in May 1911. Okay. So uh, what did the gover- governor of Bosnia do? He just, like, ran the region. Like, okay. Like, like any... Any governor. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. Okay. Um, he, and just for context of this, he would invite Franz Ferdinand to Sarajevo to review the troops during a training exercise set pl- set to take place in June 1914. Okay. So. Man, all these military training exercises yeah. causing all sorts of problems. Let's keep that in mind. M- military exercise 1914. Okay. After an aborted attempt on Potioric, the members of this organization, they regroup. And they settle to kill Franz Ferdinand during his visit in June 1914. So they couldn't get Potioric, so they were like, all right, next best thing. Yeah. Like, the the heir is coming to the town. Wouldn't that be way more, like, in terms of magnitude, the governor of Bosnia versus the heir apparent? Well, they didn't know the heir apparent was coming until after they tried to to kill Potioric. Oh, so they were like, okay, this bigger fish is coming, let's go for it. Okay, got it. Um, Now, at the same time... Uh, while all this is happening, there's another group debating to kill, or to at least attack, a government official. Mm. Uh, this is where I'm going to introduce you to a man named Gavrilo Princip. I've heard of this guy. I've heard the yep. Princip last name. Uh, he'd been born in July 1894 in Oblaj, Bosnia. Uh-huh. It's spelled O-B-L-J-A-J. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. If you're from there, I apologize. <laughs> Uh, so he's only about, you know, 20 years old at this point. So he's young. Came from a Serb family. Uh, but despite coming from a poor family, he was able to attend school in Sarajevo. While he was in college, like many people, friendship was exposed to nationalist ideas. He joined the Young Bosnia Activist Group, uh, who just wanted, you know, more autonomy for Bosnia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and was expelled for protesting Austro-Hungarian rule. Okay, he was yeah. expelled from the college yeah. for nationalist views. Yeah, well, for protesting Austro-Hungarian rule. Uh, seems kind of hardcore. Well, I mean, they don't 
like Austrian Hunger does not want that. Like they, they're still like a more absolutist monarchy. Okay. So like they, they, they like they don't want people protesting their rule. Well, yeah, I mean that, that's kind of the whole sure. crux of authoritarianism. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's authoritarian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't think that this is like democratic in any way. Okay. Just. Uh, that's why I was concerned. I was like, he really got expelled from school? Yeah. That seems like a lot, but okay. All right. I um, understand. He moved to Serbia and joined a paramilitary force to fight the Ottomans. Okay. Um, in 1913, after, after Austro-Hungarian authorities cracked down on unrest in Bosnia, Princip and others resolved to assassinate a high-ranking official. Now, the Black Hand, kind of, there, there's some, like, mutual contacts between the two. And the okay. Black Hand is like, hey, we can use these guys carry out what we want. Okay. they're from there. They know the lay of the land by a little better than we do. I see. Okay. So, so they, they're, they're going to use like these little guys yeah. as basically foot soldiers yeah. to th- they know that they're it kind of like they want the same thing. Uh, they want the same end result. Yeah. So they're going to use them as like foot soldiers yeah. to do this. Okay. So they train them. They provide them with weapons. Of course. Of um, course. And the weapons and the actual assassination team, because it's not just Princip, there's several other people involved. Okay. Uh, But I'm not going to go through every single one of them. Um, They traveled to Belgrade, or from Belgrade in Serbia to Sarajevo in late May and early June separately. They don't send the weapons with them. Well, yeah, they want to cover their tracks. They they don't want, if if the group gets busted, they don't want all of their weapons to go with them. Yeah. So. Yeah, makes sense. I'm going to show you some other pictures. Uh, That's Sophie. Okay. Uh, that is Potiorek. So he was in the military? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, okay. But I'm getting Potiorek and Princip confused. Yeah. All right. And then that's Princip. Okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> I was like, well, if he's in the military? What? I mean, not to say that somebody in the military can't overthrow government. Did he get a black eye? Did he get his like nose busted? I think that was his mug shot, so probably. Okay. Um, he got the, a rifle butt to the nose. Because both of his eyes are black. Uh, Franz Ferdinand and Archduchess Sophie, they arrive... I cannot say Archduchess. I'm just going to call her Sophie. Franz Ferdinand and Sophie <laughs> arrive in Sarajevo on June 28th, 1914, and were met by Potiorek at the train station. Okay. A motorcade of six vehicles make their way from the train station to the military barracks. So like, he wanted to visit you know, the military troops there and such. And it's a big deal that they came, right? Like, there are oh, yeah. people that are, like, waving at them and stuff. It's like a motorcade. Uh, yeah, kind of. Like, there's people out about, like, they do see them. But, okay. Um, Franz Ferdinand and Sophie were in the third car, which was an open-top car. Okay. Um, an early snafu left the special security force that was to protect the Archduke and his wife at the train station. So their only protection... Uh, on their motorcade route was the local police. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Um, after and, visiting the barracks, the motorcade journeyed to towards the Sarajevo City Hall on a road along the Miljaka River called the Apple Quay. Okay. So they're running along this road. There's buildings on one side, but there's a river on the other side. River on the other. Yeah. And are the cops in other cars? Yes. This okay. is a motorcade of like six cars. So there's... Okay. Well, being in an open top car, like, oh yeah, we have police protection, like, you're in an open top car. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of are they flying above you? Yeah. Are they float? Are they like you know covering you with their bodies? Like otherwise, yes. that's not much protection. Yes. <laughs> Just saying because there's such thing as rifles. <clears throat> Kennedy. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Um, he I, had lots of police. Yes, it didn't help. No. As the motorcade passed a cafe, one of the assassins, the assassin teams, makes an attempt. A bomb is thrown at the archduke's car, but it bounces off the trunk. No. And lands b- b- beneath the following car, exploding and injuring several people. Okay. Well, I don't know why I said no. I, th- I think I'm yeah. just shocked. Yeah. I don't I don't want anybody ever to get blown up. No. But... The would-be assassin then swallowed a cyanide pill and jumped into the river. Intense. It would have been if it worked. Unfortunately for him, the cyanide was expired and only induced vomiting. Oh my gosh. And the river was only five inches deep at that time of the year. Oh my gosh. So he just jumped into a puddle and just started puking? (laughs) Oh, it's so not funny, but like, just see, just imagining that, like, 
I've died for my country, and then, like, jumping into a puddle and puking a lot on top of, like... Uh, well, he was pulled from the river and beaten before he was taken away from by police. So he's probably hurt from jumping in, like... Not even like knee deep. Yeah, it's like river. a kiddie pool's worth yeah. of he's water. He's vomiting his guts out, and he's getting the sh- the crap beaten out of him. <laughs> it's like this poor guy. It'd be humiliating. <laughs> he chucks a bomb. It it bounces off. It blows up the wrong car. He's like, "All right, well, that didn't work." <laughs> Swallows cyanide. Swallows some cyanide. Jumps into a shallow puddle river. And then, and then he just starts puking. And then he gets beaten up. And then they, they fish him out of the river and just kick the crap out of him. And All the while, he's still puking. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the motorcade then sped off as much as you can speed in 1914. Um, five miles an hour. Sped off to the city hall, unknowingly racing by a second team of assassins. Oh, boy. Um, after arriving at City Hall, Franz Ferdinand told the mayor, quote, I came here on a visit and I'm greeted with bombs. It is outrageous. End quote. So. Wow. Um, after giving a speech, the Archduke decided to visit the hospital and the victims of the attack. Uh-huh. Um, an aide to the Archduke suggested lining the route with armed troops. Pochoric, okay. fearing mass panic. Oh, yeah. Vetoed the idea, saying, quote, do you think Sarajevo is full of assassins? End quote. <laughs> well, unfortunately for Podioric, it, it was. <laughs> it, it absolutely was. So at 10.45 a.m., the motorcade left the city hall. Podior- so this is all in the same day. Oh, yeah. He's, all, vis- he's the visiting day. the hospital and then leaving same day. Well, remember, like, he got there, they visited the barracks. Oh, right. Then right. the bomb got thrown on the way to city hall. Okay. So and now he's... To the but, hospital. Yeah. Now he's leaving the hospital. Okay. No, no, he's leaving City Hall. He's only to a hospital. Got it, got it. Okay. Uh, Potiorek decided to go to the hospital via the same route that the Archduke had already taken along the Apple Quay Road along the river. Okay. Uh, this would prevent having to travel through the dense city center, which you would normally have to do to visit the hospital. Sure. And it would provide less opportunities for potential assassins to fire from windows, because only one side of the road has buildings. Right, right. So. However, and, th- and this is where he F's up. Uh-oh. He fails to communicate this to the motorcade drivers. Okay. So he's like, let's go to the Apple Quay, but then he doesn't tell anybody? <laughs> he tells his aide. Oh, okay. And it just gets... Just That's it. Lost in translation, I guess. Wow. But it's like, if it's this important, just say, hey, you six drivers, come here. We're going to discuss the route. So they oh, separ- They get separated. They don't get separated. I'll, I'll get okay. to it. but. Yeah, that he doesn't. He fails to communicate. Uh, the first two drivers in the motorcade turn off from the Apple Quay without knowing that the route had changed. So they start turning off the downtown. Oh my God, the normal road to the hospital. The Archduke's driver Leopold Loschka followed, uh, not knowing either. And that was originally who I was gonna pin this on. Mm-hmm. Was his driver just? It's like not his fault. Going the wrong way, but yeah, that was more. I looked into. I'm like, it's not his fault. Yeah, he's just driving, man. Yeah. Uh, Pope York, who was in the car with him, told Lochka to stop as they were going the wrong way. Uh-huh. Lochka stops but stalls the car when he attempts to put it in reverse because, oh, again, boy. it's a car from 1914. Oh, no. Lochka. The car, the car stops in, a, in front of a deli called Schiller's. Uh-huh. Sitting at a table in front of Schiller's was Princip. Oh, my goodness. What, what fortune for him. Oh, yeah. It's he, like he's, he's like a sandwich halfway to his mouth. Yeah. Oh, crap. No one's ever been able to determine if he was actually just there eating lunch, but I like to think that he was. He was, like, munching on a sandwich, and then this car stops in front of him. There's and like it's yelling. just, like, grinding. He looks over, and he's just thinking, holy shit. <laughs> and his sandwich falling out of his mouth. Yeah. Oh, like, my God. Like, jaw drops, like... I bet you, I bet there was a pickle on the sandwich, or the pickle on the plate, though, and he, like, jammed that into his mouth really quick, like, all right, here we go. <laughs> yep. After, wow. After the failed attempt, Principe had decided to stake out the route in case the Archduke came that way again. But then he got hungry, like any yeah. person would. Yeah. Um, and having the perfect opportunity, Principe drew his pistol and shot the Archduke and his wife at point-blank range. Jeez, man. Principe was immediately apprehended before he could kill himself. Okay. Yeah. Sophie was shot in well, the... St- Podiork is in the same car, right? Yeah. So he just, like, walks up to this car, shoots both of them, but then the driver and Podiork are right there to just be like, we've got you. What are you well, like, doing? Well, also, like, other 
Yeah, sure. The people in the cafe also yeah. eating and shocked that yeah. a man drew his pistol and just shot yeah. the highest-ranking member of the government. Uh, Sophie was shot in the stomach, while Franz Ferdinand was shot in the neck in his jugular vein. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the royal couple was rushed away to the governor's residence because it was the most fortified place in the city. Sure. Sophie was dead on arrival, while Franz Ferdinand died ten minutes later. Yeah, he bled out. Man, yeah. sucks. Wow, what just a, like, crazy, terrible, it was a comedy of errors for the guy who jumped into the Puddle River, and then <laughs> yeah. and then a comedy of errors for this poor driver who's like, okay, I'm just going to fall, and, the, and Pody York's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? You're going the wrong way. He's like, all right, <laughs> it stalls out the car. You probably got to get out and crank it to get it started again. <laughs> yeah. And well, then, and well, then it's Prince not that up, quite like that. Uh, there's the car. That's uh, the actual car. Yeah, but, okay, the, yeah. yeah, you have to, like, light a fire to get yeah. it started again. And then there's the actual pistol. And then Pody Ork is there, the food falling out of his mouth, and yeah. he's like, oh, yeah, dang. And then he shoots the two of them, and everybody's like, what in the heck is happening? Yeah. Do, so was, I know you're going to go into the aftermath, but were there, like, riots in the streets? Did it go crazy? There, This was in Sarajevo, right? Yeah. Okay. Cause Sarajevo has had, like, multiple big, gigantic, world-changing things happen there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Continue, um, please. All of the assassins were caught and arrested pending trial. Of course. Um, Anti-Serb riots broke out in Sarajevo. Oh, boy. Um, so they're against the Serb people. Yeah. Even well, though... Prince was Serb. And even though this was a small faction that didn't have anything to do with a larger population of Serbian people yep. there. Yep. <sighs> of course. Okay. Now, if, now remember when they got married, there was a big hole mm -hmm. blue about of her course. being yes. too low of a rank. Wait till you get to their funeral. Am I gonna? Did they like retroactively like elevate her, or no. they're like, no, she's still a piece of crap. Ah, oh, boy. All uh, right. No foreign dignitaries were invited, to except her for the except for the Kaiser who declined. To both of their funerals, or just for well, they, it was held together. Okay, so the officer corps was ordered not to salute the funeral procession as it passed. Public viewing was severely curtailed. The royal household, like the main household, attempted to make the couple's children pay for the funeral. Okay. Which normally would have been covered by the state. Sure, of course. They're dignitary. Or, yeah, they're a member of the royal family. Right. But public outrage led to this being dropped. Okay. Uh, Sophie's coffin was lower than her husband's to signify her lower rank. And I guess the traditional thing for, like, a lady-in-waiting, was basically just, like, an aide to a mm -hmm. member of the royal family, was yeah. to put, like, their, like, gloves over their head, like, on the, like, at the top of the funeral cask. I don't know uh, why. Uh-huh. They put those on there because they are like, well, she was a lady-in-waiting for a long time. She wasn't, you know, she was more that than an actual archduchess. Arch okay, yeah, Sophie. <laughs> she was more that <laughs> yeah. And the couple wow. were not buried in the imperial crypt, again, due to her status. So, is that what it's like to have a lot of money? Is that you just worry yourself about stuff like this? Yeah, I guess. Because in my head, I'm just like, how do you even make silly rules like, like this? how petty? It's yeah. like, you can't even do this after they're... Like, you can't even treat them like human beings after... Or at least her, after they're dead. And she was assassinated. Yeah! What? It's just like... Like, the height of pettiness. Yeah. And just... It's like... These are the th like you like you don't worry about oh my country's tearing itself itself apart right oh the continent's about to go to war right you worry about little crap like yeah, this totally. no wonder you're not in charge anymore I mean we watched the crown we know that those people are like just slaves to tradition yeah. and like well there are hundreds of years of precedent we have to do it this way and it's like okay but do you apparently are not existing with the rest of the world right no. now. And you have no heart. Yeah. Uh, Emperor Franz Josef commented to his daughter, remarking that his grandnephew Charles was now the heir. Quote, For me, it is relief from a great worry. End quote. Because he didn't want any of these reforms to happen. Yeah. So he's like, oh, thank goodness my... My, my idiot nephew. Want to make dead. all these changes. Man, good thing he's dead. 
Yeah, now he can't take over and do anything yeah. good for the country. Sweet. Um, the trials of the conspirators began in October 1914. Princip was sentenced to 20 years imprisonment, which I kind of found odd because I'm like, you think he would have been sentenced to death. Right. That seems like but, a kind of a light sentence for yeah, the gravity of the situation. Like he's going to get out when he's 40. Conspiracy to get commit murder. He actually murdered two people. Killing the heir. Yeah. Yeah. So, but eh. well, maybe they're maybe they're um, like prison slash uh, like reform system is much lighter than ours because we only have ours to yeah. compare it to. Well, it's irrelevant because he died from tuberculosis in a Czech prison in April 1918. So, so only made it five years. Not even five years. Like less than four years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, po- I, also their prisons are really, really, really rough. Yeah, so. well, he caught tuberculosis there, so. Yeah. Uh, Potiorik led an anti-Serb purge in Bosnia following the assassination. Over 2,000 people were killed, and over 5,200 families were expelled. Wow. Yeah. Nothing like radicalizing somebody after they see two people murdered in front of them. Yep. I could see. I mean, uh, I'm not saying that it was good or that I agree with him or anything like that, but yeah. he, so I- was, he was not dealing well with things. No. And I forgot to show you this. This is an artist's depiction of it. So. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which is weird because it's not accurate at all. Yeah. But, um, anyway. Um, Post York was removed from Army Command in December 1914 for ineptitude. <laughs> well, he sounds like he's lost his ever-loving mind. Yeah. And he died in December 1933. Okay. The most lasting effect... Um, the most lasting effect of the war or of the uh, assassinations uh, was very far-reaching. Austria-Hungary accused Serbia, the actual Serbian government, of directing the plot and gave it a list of demands in order to avoid war. Wow. Okay. Yeah. They were like, we didn't even do this. It was yeah. just a bunch of groups of radical people. What the heck? Uh, Serbia's ally, Russia, oh, began to mobilize its troops in case war came. Oh boy. Germany, who was allied with Austria-Hungary, began to mobilize its troops and offered a, quote, blank check, end quote, of support. Oh, no. Yep, well. Russia's ally, France, wary of Germany, began readying its troops. Everybody's like, oh, boy. Yep. Here we go. Everybody's getting their guns. Let's get ours. Serbia refused the Austro-Hungarian demands, and at 11 a.m. on July 28, 1914, the First World War began when Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia. By its end, in November 1918, over 17 million people would lay dead. Wow. Yeah. So you said that was, the end was in what year? November 1918. And when did Princip die? April 1918. So you didn't even see the end. I wonder at that time if he was able to realize how big the impact was of his one simple action well he saw he lived through most of the first world war so he probably saw like hey but he was in a prison so like what information was he getting that's true that's true like i don't we don't know like if they had newspapers or if he was aware of what was happening yeah i don't know how much he was aware of but like and also it's like their governments weren't really or at least some governments weren't exactly open with how much death there was. Like, a lot of Germans didn't really know until, or at least a lot of the German public didn't really know until 1918 when you start running into fuel shortages and food food uh, problems. And they're like, why is this happening? We've been told the war's going so well. Yeah. And it's like... Which would also kind of lead into this whole stab-in-the-back myth. Even, even if the war is going well, yeah. things... Or, I mean... Yeah, there's still... The, flood, the flow people. of information, though, was, like, so different yeah. then. So, wow. Um, Austria-Hungary itself would not survive the war. Uh, Emperor Franz Josef would die in November 1916 after ruling for, like, 68 years. Yeah, yeah. Which is too long for anybody. Yeah. Way too long. Did you hear me, Elizabeth? Too long. <laughs> um... Yeah, I think she's been on the throne for 70 years this year. She Isn't she the longest reigning British monarch? Mm-hmm. By, like, a long time. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, anyway, um, 
He had died in November 1916 and was succeeded by the last Austrian emperor, his grandnephew Charles. Yeah, this is so, so great and so relieved. Yep. Uh, Hungary terminated the union with Austria in October 1918, while most of the ethnic groups formed their own countries. Yes. So, like, yeah, it's where you get Czech Republic, Slovakia, right. although they were together at the time. Um, so, like, Eastern Europe, like, like, Germany, like, the German, Russian, and Austro-Hungarian empires all fell, and mm -hmm. the Ottoman one did as well. Mm -hmm. So, like, Eastern Europe, it's like, now you have all these countries that are springing into existence. Right, like little countries. Yeah, it, like, the Eastern Europe, like, post-World War One, is, like, such a mass of chaos. Because mm -hmm. at the time, you saw the Russian Civil War going on, you had the Bolsheviks and such. So we should talk like, about that another time, because I don't know anything about that. Uh, yeah, that's... um. But also, these are a lot of countries that had never ruled themselves before. They had yeah. always been under, like, a larger umbrella, mm -hmm. or they, at least recent, in recent history. So you have a ton of countries that are springing into existence, and it's like, okay, so we're a country now. Hmm. Now what? Yeah. And the people are like, oh, we are starving. What are you doing? And they're like, we're uh, we're just trying to write a constitution, man. We don't even know. Yeah. What's happening? Uh, Who's, who gives us money? Who <laughs> is the money? Where is it? <laughs> How um, do we get it? Yes. Um, Bosnia would form a part of the new country of Yugoslavia. Uh-huh. Um, but ethnic tensions would still simmer beneath the surface, leading to the breakup of Yugoslavia in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. And while they've improved, tensions still exist to this day. Wow. Oh, boy. Yeah, That's all intense. because Oscar Potiorek couldn't tell his drivers which direction to go. Dang. Now, granted, you could always... It's possible there still would have been a First World War... Yeah. At some point. Yeah. Because, like, the tension was still there. Yeah, that string was going to break. Uh, yeah, these alliances were polarizing. Sure. Day by day. But this happening at this time in this place affects how that war turns out. Yeah. Because it's essentially the central powers declaring war first. Mm-hmm. Now... Uh, up to this point, Italy had had an, uh, had an agreement with Germany and Austria-Hungary. Mm -hmm. So Italy, on the face of it, would have been in the Central Powers. But, like, because it happened the way, like, it started the way it started, they said, well, no, this we only meant this to be a defensive alliance. Mm -hmm. so we're not going to do that. And they later, would later join the Allies. So, like, if France or Russia attack first, Italy is on the side of Germany and Austria. <laughs> wow. Which would change the whole war. And World War Two. Uh, yeah, and like I said, the domino effect in the Second World War. So, mm -hmm. this happening at this place at this time really affects how that turns out. Wow. Crazy beans, man. Yeah, so. Holy crap. Yeah. Um, sources I used for this episode include Richard Belfield's The Assassination Business, A History of State-Sponsored Murder from 2005, Christopher Clark's The Sleepwalkers, How Europe Went to War in 1914 from 2012. Greg King and Sue Woolman's uh, The Assassination of the Archduke. Sarajevo, 1914, The Romance That Changed the World from 2013. Margaret Macmillan's The War That Ended Peace, How Europe Abandoned Peace for the First World War from 2013. And Sean McMeekin's 7-1-1914, Countdown to War from 2013. Oh, wow. That was intense. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, so what are we... Can you give us a hint about what we're talking about next time? We're going to talk about why you should really only let qualified professionals uh, make repairs and renovations of things. Yes. This is true of big and small. <laughs> I'm assuming that this is going to be a big thing, but... Yes. Just and let the... And also has some uh, corporate malfeasance, or, or malfeasance by rich people, which is always fun to talk about. Yes. We, we do love a good... Uh, comeuppance for rich people. Oh, they don't get their comeuppance. Oh, it's just malfeasance by them. Dang it. <laughs> I, I, come on. Rich that's people don't get, I, come up. Rich people don't get comeuppance. Uh, come on. That, that, that's like the rule number one of how the world works. They do in TV. TV's not real life, Teresa. I wish it were. Yes, it is. Please don't forget to check out our sister projects, or mostly my sister projects, uh, the YouTube show, The Drunken Pond, which is produced by myself and hosted by our co-producer, Steve, on this podcast. 
um, where we drink beer and play board games. It's a great time. Uh, Attack of the Final Girls, which is a horror review podcast, um, which is co-hosted by myself and my lovely pod wife, Juliet. Uh, Three Minute Movies, which is a YouTube channel where I attempt to summarize and spoil movies in three minutes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show so we can stay on the charts. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram at WeEFTUP. I'm Teresa. And I'm Cody. And this is WeEFTUP. We